Clergy from our diocese are gathered this week at Camp Gravit for our pre-Lenten clergy retreat, led this year by Cameron Vivanco, missionary from our diocese in Ecuador and founder of Education Equals Hope. Wanted to share with you all her opening session from last night where she shared her story and invited us to look at our stories and how we recognize God in the midst of everything. Hope you enjoy this episode of Make, Equip, and Send, the stories that shape EDUSC. a 
personal connection with Jesus. And there is a difference, perhaps, between a personal connection with Jesus and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. (laughs) At least I was brought up with that spiritual prejudice. I was raised very much the last thing you would ever, and I know this is being recorded, I feel really nervous saying this out loud, but the last thing you would ever want to be in your whole life is Baptist. Like, that was just terrible. Because they had this whole personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I, and I knew that that was bad. I didn't really know why it was bad, I just knew it was bad. And as I have... Uh, grown in my own life and faith, I have come to realize that it really is a personal relationship. And hopefully everybody in this room already knows that, and this is just review. I I work in the diocese of Ecuador. Um, And something that I learned uh, when I learned that all that was bad was that, you know, your faith was private. I've actually come to realize that's false. That's not true at all. Your faith is always personal, but it's never private. And especially for a group of clergy, anybody can see how well you're living out your faith or not. In this day and age, Instagram and Facebook and web pages and what it is blatantly clear to the world your faith is never private but it is always personal um so then i graduated from high school and went to swanee holy mountain for undergrad anybody go to undergrad thank you okay okay good thank you um And then I went from Swanee to the church, the Episcopal Church of the Advent. Uh, I say that with a lot of love. Um, And in Spartanburg, Rob and I worked there together for five years. They tucked us down a hallway in a back corner because I think they didn't want us to come out in the light of day. But uh, an incredible, incredible time of doing full-time youth ministry at the Advent. And then God started messing with my heart about full-time missions. I am an Episcopalian. We do not have missionaries. I was the first Episcopal missionary I ever met. Like, did not have any concept of what a missionary was. It was a doctor, a teacher, a Bible-beating freak. And I wasn't one of those three things. So, like, missionary, whatever. Um, So, here are three snippets of my calling to youth, uh, to full-time missions. Um, I... I was at something at the National Youth Workers Convention in Nashville in 1998. Everyone was alive then, right? I did a lot of speaking with youth, and they're like, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> in 1998, um, I was there, and uh, there was a man on stage named Tony Campolo. If anyone's heard that name, he could make this chair, want to go into full-time missions. He is such a dynamic speaker. Um, but that was the first time that I had really heard uh, that a call, like a, a call. All of you guys know what call is all about. Your life is based on call. But that was the first time that I was ca- called uh, into something. And he was talking about Jubilee. Every seven years, uh, the crops were rotated. Every 50 years, the dead 
years being released from prison and our ultimate freedom, our ultimate jubilee in Christ. Yes, so important. I'm not a teacher, a doctor, or a Bible-beating freak, so he's clearly talking to somebody else. A few moments later, I went into the convention hall, and there were all the booths set up to try to get people to go do whatever or buy whatever product. And, and I remember distinctly walking past a booth, deciding that it looked boring, and kept walking, only to find myself turning around and walking back up to it, going, why am I walking up to this booth? came to find out that it was a booth that was not there to recruit youth groups. It was there to recruit youth ministers to go to third world countries and train youth ministers. What? With me, with my passion for youth ministry, I have something to offer outside of the Church of the Advent. Oh, run away, run away. Um, ran to, ran back to my my. Uh, hotel room, got in the elevator, went upstairs. I'm like, that was just weird. That was just weird. Get to my room, and at conferences, you get all sorts of free things, like little bars of chocolate. But I got a CD. I had been given a CD on my uh, chair, and I put it in the CD player, and I was just like, whew, okay, that was a close one. Next thing I know, the lyrics of this group I've never heard, a song I've never heard, the lyrics fill the room, and the lyrics were, a time of jubilee is coming. And in that moment, God reached down, and I reached up, and said, yes, I'll do this. And I was elated for like three seconds. (laughs) And then tears started pouring down my face. It's like, God, please don't make me go. Like, what? Where? Went back to the Advent, told a couple people, trying to figure this out. What does this mean? Well, then I come to Camp Gravit. On the other side of the camp, I mean, yeah, over there, you guys know where I'm talking about. If you don't, you should go walking tomorrow and go check it out. It's beautiful. We had a junior high retreat, and and that sandy concrete floor, the music is pounding and smash pumpkin, and and everything that's happening is kind of in slow motion. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Like, God, are you calling me somewhere? Are you not? What's going on? I I, I thought, maybe I'll ask Father Fred. He seems like a wise man. So at the junior high dance, I pull Father Fred outside and say, Father Fred, this is what's happening. I feel like God might be calling me into missions, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know where to do what I don't do you know anything about missions or missionaries? He's like, well, actually I do. I do. There's this organization, I think they're called the South American Missionary Society. I've got a whole folder of their stuff back at the diocesan house. I've got a really busy time going on, so I'll try to get that in the mail to you sometime over the next three weeks. If you don't hear back from me within three weeks, please call the diocesan house, and I will get this. Just remind me, and I'll get this folder back. I'll get this information to you. Okay, Father Fred, thank you. Okay. Go back inside, dance to Smash Mouth with my seventh graders. Look out the beautiful gravid sky and the stars. Thank God, what are you up to? What is going on? Go to bed, wake up, 
go to breakfast. Father Fred goes, oh, here, Cameron, that folder was in my trunk. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, why was the Sam's folder in your trunk? I don't know. Did God teleport the Sam's folder from the desk and office to his trunk in the night? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know, but all I knew is that all of a sudden I had a whole folder of information you got to be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. <laughs> then, as the, the weeks and the months progress, and I send some emails to Sam's, and I sit down with the rector, and I talk to my friends. I'm like, what do I do? How do I do this? The biggest hurdle for me in going to full-time mission was my mother. <laughs> right? From the time I started at the Advent, we're from North Carolina, Spartanburg. That's like two and a half, three hours away. Like, that's a distance. She was already thinking about moving to Winston-Salem just so she could be closer. Cameron, when are you going to leave the Advent? A question I got all the time. She comes for a visit. She asks the question. I'm like, well, um, I might be leaving the Advent more sooner than later. But you're probably not going to like where I'm going. Well, why not? Because <sighs> um, it might involve me being overseas for a couple of years. Well, why wouldn't I like that? <laughs> did, did you not hear me just say I'd be overseas? Like, oh, like you can't over, overseas? Well, yeah, I heard you, but Cameron, I'm 64 years old. I've never been out of the country. I don't have a ticket to go out of the country. But for the last six weeks, the most important thing for me to do has been to get my passport. And with that, she reaches into her purse and pulls out her passport application. God, have you been working on my mother? I thought this was about me. You all have stories of calling. And you know that God is very persistent and very direct and that God uses the people all around you. Not just your own little selves. So that, were, that was three of about a million things <laughs> that happened, uh, trying to discern whether or not I was really called to go into missionary service. What? I couldn't even say the word missionary. And bless her, my mother, even to her dying day, could not say the word. My, my daughter works overseas with the church, helping people. Oh, she's a missionary? She works overseas. <laughs> Needless to say, spoiler alert, it, it happened. <laughs> I, uh, I did all the paperwork and all the interviews. I got dropped off at airports in the middle of military coups in other countries. Details. Um, and God called me to Ecuador. In the summer of 2001, not knowing any better, and none of you told me, I just got in my car and drove around to every possible church that would possibly have me so I could stand up and say, hey, I'm going to Ecuador and I need to raise some financial support to do it. Would you like to be involved? 17 churches later, 
uh, I was fully funded to go to Ecuador. I went to Costa Rica first to learn some Spanish. Oh, right, because I took French and German in high school and college. It's funny, God. Um, and then I landed in Ecuador. Now, I know that you guys all know this, but here's just a refresher on where Ecuador is. It's this little blue one right here. I, when this whole thing was happening, I was fairly sure, I was fairly certain Ecuador wasn't in Africa. But I did not know if it was Central or South America. And so, just, you guys know, but I just want to remind you, it's on the western coast of South America, but you'll see that it's directly below Miami, and it's actually shorter to go Miami to Quito than it is Miami to Los Angeles. Just so you know. Um, so I arrived in Ecuador in 2002 with the support of many of the people in this room. This is the volcano uh, Cotopaxi. We have 17 volcanoes. The snow is actually like up to there now. It's melted quite a bit. Um, this is the city of Quito with a, the Virgin uh, on the hill, which was a gift, I believe, from France to Ecuador when they uh, beat Spain, where they, you know, got their independence from Spain because France was really big and like congratulating other countries when Spain got the boot. Um, and this is the National Cathedral. There are a few things uh, about Ecuador. So I've been there since uh, 2002. Uh, I accidentally started this thing called Education Equals Hope as a micro scholarship for students in desperate and difficult places. We have 350 students in Ecuador and in our five different countries. Um, we're not actually gonna talk about any of that in our main sessions tomorrow afternoon at or um, we'll have a session in here. Uh, if anyone would like to know anything, to know more about Educational Hope or what ministry and life is like in Ecuador, tomorrow at four is the opportunity to do that. Um, so that is how I got to Ecuador. Now for the next few minutes, I want to share some verses, some scripture that has been incredibly formative for the time that I've had in Ecuador. Uh, does anyone have a Bible? Does anyone bring a Bible? Great. If you did, perfect. On a device. On your device. Um, what I would like to do, and I think I have until 8.15, is that correct? Um, I, we're going to look at John 15. The whole chapter of John 15. If you have your own Bible or you want to do it on your phone, that's great. I actually have it printed out for you um, because I would love for you to take, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest this chapter. John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. What did, what stood out to you? And the whole chapter, the whole gosh darn chapter of John 15, what stood out to you? Love each other. Love each other. Yeah. Why did that? Why did that stand out to you? Do you think? <laughs> As I have loved you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks. What else? What else stood out? Yeah. He chose you and I appointed you. And that means I 
I'm supposed to find joy in it. Mm -hmm. A lot of verbs. A lot of verbs. to the vine. Friends. 
of the Lord Most High. What else, Gary? Just gives me a great joy and comfort to think of myself as a branch hmm. of Jesus. Because we're connected to the vine. strongly dislike something um, and then you get to the scripture and the world hated me first Jesus could you say strongly disliked you first <laughs> so I don't have to explain that my kids but there's a lot of that going around Ned did you have your hand up no Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, fruit that will last as well as the fruit that will last really, I mean, it is last and I'm suspicious of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
disciples by the fruit that we bear. That kind of undergirds our whole program that it's not just about the time you spend in Ecuador. It's about the fruit that you bear when you go home. It's really powerful. Uh, The pruning part. The first time I did this Bible study and I probably sat with John 15 in a situation like we're doing maybe 20 times. Um, And funny enough, scripture is alive, (laughs) and it speaks to me differently every time I get to sit down and do this. And I remember distinctly the first time that pruning was huge, because I felt like I had been pruned to a stump. I had got to be a part of a vibrant ministry, a hundred or some kids on the rolls, coming to grab it four or five times a year, impacting kids on a diocesan level like I was impacted on a diocesan level. They let me drive the church van <laughs> and with kids in it. <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, but I, there was so much going on and, oh, Cameron can do that. We can ask Cameron to be part of this. I land in Ecuador And no one knows me from Adam's house cat. They don't know anything about me. And I am some crazy Episcopalian who has gone on the mission field. What's the Episcopal Church? I'm part of the covenant. The what? You know, the EV free. The who? All sorts of denominations. I had no idea existed (laughs) until I went to South America. Um, So that's just a little bit about my personal story. But as you look at it, what is... What is the word that is repeated eight times in the first two paragraphs? Nope. Remain. Remain. Remain or abide. And if I can get you to draw a little line right here all the way across the page under the second paragraph, all the way across, and just write remain or abide, whichever speaks to you more. What does that mean to remain in the vine? What does that mean to remain with Jesus? Is it passive or active? How, how is remaining active? You could be other places. It's a choice. It is a choice to be there. So often we think remain, this, this chocolate has remained in the chair. It didn't have to do anything. Gravity just kept it there. It would be easy to think of remaining or abiding as a passive thing, but obviously you know that it is active. Um, Someone once told me a story. She was trying to understand this concept of remaining, and she had gone out into her little backyard garden, and this big black lab dog came bounding into her garden. And she was like, whoa, where did 
did you come from? Love jogs, petted them. This is so great. Never seen you before. Where are you from? Had a collar on, found the, the phone number, called up the people. Hey, I have your dog. Turned out to be a dog from like four streets over. So not a direct neighbor, but not too terribly far from home. Dog might have made his way back. But that dog chose not to remain in his backyard. Now, the fact that he didn't remain there, he was still loved. He was still loved when he chose to leave. He was missed. He had all the privileges of, of being a part of his owner's family, but he chose not to remain, so he didn't get the benefits of remaining in his own backyard. The food, the snacks, the cuddles, the dog, the children playing. And it was just, you know, any analogy is going to break down, so don't take it too far. <laughs> but that concept of choosing to remain. And as professional ministry ministers, that choice that you have every day to remain with God and remain in relationship with him, that is what keeps you connected to the vine as a branch. Remaining, we have to remain, we have to abide. What's the word in the third paragraph that's repeated multiple times? Nine times, actually. Love. We are to love one another. In the Amplified Version of the Bible, it says that love is an unselfishly seeking the best for one another unselfishly seeking the best for one another. That is focused, love one another, that's focused on our neighbors. But we can't focus on our neighbors unless we remain first. If we try to love out of our own strength, we will quickly run out of strength. We have to remain in the vine. We have to remain so that we can love one another. Americans, we tend to like clear processes. <laughs> and I feel like this is one of those in scripture that this is a great formula for being able to love your neighbor is to remain with God first. And then that gives you what you need to be able to love. And what is the, the word repeated twice? This is actually in the last paragraph. We lump that all together. And the last two sentences, testify. testify. Can I get someone to testify? Anybody? Is there anybody? No, you're Episcopalians. Of course not. <laughs> Episcopalians, we, uh, we get really nervous about testifying. If you don't like that, you can bear witness. You can confirm. You could give your confirming evidence. These are all various translations of that scripture. But the idea to bear witness, to testify what God has done. And you can't give testimony if you haven't loved. If you haven't loved anybody, then you have nothing to talk about. And you can't love unless you have abided. Abide, love, testify, share what it is that God's love has done in your life. Share how it is, what God does in you as you abide. 
You guys do this every week. This is so much a part of your existence every day. I hope and I pray that you will continue to love, abide, so that you can love, so that you can share. And really that's what I've done tonight is to testify. Is to testify what has happened in my life, how God moved in my life. You guys, as clergy, often get to talk about your call to ministry. But what I would love for you to do tonight is to form some small groups. Again, you get to decide who's in that group. And spend just the next 10 minutes, and that will be the end of our session tonight, testifying, if you will, bearing witness to when you came to understand how much God loves you. Your own relationship with Jesus. Sharing that with the safe group that's in this room and remembering what God has done in you and through you because of that love. Any questions?